0: It was cool on Friday, my family was driving back from the Dallas area, DFW area, where we had been with my family for a few days, and to drive through Dallas, and to see Memphis Blue coming into Dallas, and the Reunion Tower, which is in downtown Dallas, at ball, it's a a restaurant that was rotating with Memphis on it, which was so cool to see. So um, if you made that trip for the game yesterday, I'm glad you're back safe this morning. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, it's the last Sunday of the year, and I'm going to end the year i talking about the very beginning. <clears throat> In Genesis 1, it starts this way. Your Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was a formless—the earth was formless and empty. Some versions use the phrase chaos. Some versions, there's emptiness. It's that there was nothing there. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters— And God said, and here's the first thing God speaks in Scripture. It's the first thing God does in the Bible, and it's this. God says, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And that right there, the first two verses of the Bible, is like foreshadowing. It's setting a platform and a stage for what the rest of Scripture is going to be like, the rest rest of human history is going to be like. That we serve a God who still speaks light into darkness, And the first act of God, after speaking light in the darkness, is that God separated the light from the darkness. Now, I don't know what that's like, because it doesn't seem like light and darkness can both exist in the same place. So, I don't know if God is like, okay, light, you go over there, and darkness, you go over there. But the first thing God does is separate light and darkness, which is what God still does throughout the rest of human history. As God is trying to pull you out of darkness, speak light into your darkness, this, this is who God is. This is what God does. So if you've ever been in your house, when the, when the power goes out and the electricity goes out, you, you know in that moment you're in darkness. And some of you have a plan for this. You put flashlights throughout your house. You have candles set up throughout your house. Where at When darkness hits and there's really nothing you can do about it, where do you go to try to, try to bring light? And can we be honest too? We often take it for granted how much light is around us. I bet none of you came into the building today and you're like, thank you that the lights are on at Sycamore View Church today. But the lights, electricity, power comes on. God speaks light in the darkness, God separates light from darkness. In the Old Testament, the books where the word light shows up the most, you have three of them, and it's really not even close. So you have 39 books in the Old Testament, three of them use light a lot, 36 don't. And it's Job, Psalms, and Isaiah. Job, which is one of the darkest books in the Bible, a man whose his wife dies, his kids die, his health is poor... And there are times where Job is using the word light because light isn't anywhere around him. And then other times he's using the word light because light is what he craves, that God would speak and break light into his darkness. And you have the book of Psalms, which are times where light is something that David or other people who are writing Psalms are craving in times when it's, it's absent from their lives. And then you have Isaiah, which is a, a book about people who are far away from God. They're far away from home. And they're longing for light to break into their darkness. The three books where the word light shows up the most are people and and communities hungering for light to break into their darkness. In the New Testament, John uses the word light more than anyone else. In John 1, 5, he says this, which has become an anthem in our house, that the light came into the world and darkness cannot overcome it. When light and darkness face off, light wins every time. And we know this. We know light is victorious. You shine light, it defeats darkness. Yet I think we also know that almost every day of our lives, darkness is knocking on the doors of our hearts and our minds to cloud our vision, our allegiances, who we are. And I don't know what darkness has looked like in your life. It comes in the form of sin, it comes in a form of grief, and a form of pain. I want to invite two of my friends to come and join me this morning Randy and Becky Fowler. If you will, go ahead and make your way up to the front. Randy and Becky have been here at Sycamore View uh, almost 2 decades. Uh, they're many of our friends and if you know them very much, you know that the last year they were um they were they were dealt some cards in life that they they didn't ask for. So we're going to do a little bit this morning and just processing um this last year of their life. And Randy and I uh, have had a lot of conversations in the last 365 days about faith and God and darkness and light. So can you join me in just welcoming them up here this morning? Randy and Becky, I count you as as good friends, and um, I wish we didn't have to have some of the conversations we've had over the last year. Me too. Um, But I'm grateful for them. Randy, today's December 29th, 2019, December 28th of 2018 is when life changed, a lot changed for both of you. Yes. So just what happened a year ago yesterday?
1: Well, I was at home by myself in our attic, and I fell flat on my back on the sitting joist and... After many attempts, I was finally able to get myself up almost all the way, but not quite. And also, after a lot of prayer, <laughs> I got up almost all the way, but not quite, ended up, and ended up falling again through the ceiling into our dining room uh, between the china cabinet and the corner of the dining room table. Um, pretty tight space, but I landed right between the middle, right in the middle, uh, Had to get myself up again, which I did, and got to my phone and called Becky and said, you need to get home uh, and take me to the ER. I think I need to go to the ER. And of course she asked, what happened, what happened? I said, I've fallen. She said, did you fall off the ladder? I said, no, but I wouldn't tell her what exactly happened. So she got home and uh, I was having some shallow breathing And she immediately said, I need to call the paramedics. I said, no, let's just get me in the car and get to the ER. She said, no, I think we need to call the paramedics. I again said, no, let's just get me in the car and get to the ER. So on her third attempt, when she said, I'm going to ask one more time, and this is why we need to get the paramedics here, I consented. So the paramedics came and transported me to Methodist Germantown ER Friday evening. And I knew when we got there, I could look out the window and see two other ambulances in the lot. So I knew that the ER was probably gonna be quite busy, which ended up it was packed, according to Becky. Uh, Was admitted and diagnosed with five broken ribs and a punctured lung. They inserted a chest tube to start drainage of the excess fluid and said, we need to send you to Regional One Trauma ICU. I again said, no, keep me here. Y'all can fix me up. And they said, no, Mr. Fowler, we need to send you to Regional One that can take much better care of you than we can here. So after another transport to Regional One ER at midnight on Friday, We got there and then I was later admitted to the trauma IC unit sometime in the wee hours of Saturday morning, the 29th. I was in the ICU for about a week where I had my first surgery, was losing blood, and they went in my chest wall to try to find a leak. Uh, And then after that, things started getting fuzzy.
2: We were actually in the step-down unit by then, and after Randy's first surgery, he had to keep getting blood transfusions, and he was on oxygen. Uh, He was short of breath a lot, uh, but he was able to walk down the hall with the help of the physical therapist, and um, I think I was very hopeful that he was on the mend and things had turned around. I went home, I got the phone call that said, uh, Randy's being transferred immediately to the intensive care, Uh, we've had to put a tube in, he's on a ventilator, he's on dialysis because his kidneys have failed, he's bleeding, Uh, they had to shock his heart three times to try to get the rhythm regular and uh, certainly we need you to come back. A good friend drove me and uh, for the next three days certainly they did not know what the outcome was going to be. Lots of you, I saw your faces during those three days, but uh, We just didn't know what the outcome was gonna be. One of the medicines that they had to give Randy during that time was called Levifed. It's what led to the lack of circulation in his feet that has eventually uh, resulted in the amputation. Um, But during that time, he had two more surgeries for the bleeding and it was then that the doctors told me it was likely that Randy was gonna have to lose some portion of his lower limbs.
1: After I regained consciousness, I, of course, didn't know what had happened. I thought I'd woken up from sleep. Um, And so Becky began recounting the last few days, six or seven or eight or nine or 12 or 15, I can't remember. Uh, But like I said, I began to ask her questions about what had happened. And I said, Becky, I'm really sick, aren't I? And of course she said, yes. I was so weak I couldn't hold a cup or my phone, I couldn't feed myself, I couldn't move myself. I got my phone taken away. Uh,
2: do what you gotta do.
1: And so after after some days in the ICU, the trauma ICU, I got better enough to be transferred to the uh, long-term acute care floor in the hospital uh, where I began the waiting game, uh, being told that that I would certainly lose both of my legs by one doctor below the knee and then being told by the chief surgeon that well maybe we can save your legs and just take part of your feet both feet I think we can try that Um, so that happened two surgeries for that and then two more surgeries for skin grafts on both feet and then, another waiting game of waiting for the skin grafts to heal um, while all the time being promised of this land of rehab that would go to uh, to do rehab to get better, to be able to go home. And so, on April 16th, I was transferred to the rehab floor and began uh, sessions, two-a-day sessions in the rehab. Uh, and. I just remember the first day there, I was so weak. But progressively, I started getting stronger. I could tell just in a few days, and it just progressed on and on, and I got strong enough that on May 17th, I was able to go home. And then started outpatient rehab twice a week, uh, and therapy at home when I wasn't going to rehab until until a time until the time came when they said your feet are not healing enough and being told by the the surgeon my surgeon and my therapist and a prosthetics expert with well over 100 years of experience between them that they felt like the best thing for me was to do an amputation below the knee on the right uh, and that again that would be best for me as far as my future and be able to get up and get going and get around so I was convinced and on September 30th we went back to the hospital again for inpatient uh, to be an inpatient and the surgery took place on September 30th to remove the, the right limb below the knee and was there only five days praise God uh, and was able to come home, where I've continued to get stronger and stronger. And hopefully the prosthetic will be here this week. Of course, we we're supposed to be here before Christmas, but <laughs> <laughs> they lied.
0: <laughs> well, Randy, Becky, so uh, I mean, you spent almost half the year of 2019 in the hospital. And I remember coming in the ICU back in January and. We just Randy, there were days we didn't know if you were gonna make it or not. And there were times I would after that when you were in, in another room, I would call you before I would come and say, Hey man, do you need some Chick-fil-A? <clears throat> do you need a, a yeah, bacon cheese? <laughs> <laughs> Five and a half months of four and a half months of, of hospital foods, probably not what anybody wants as their as their as their diet. So uh but I would come in and there were days there were days when you were in good spirits and days when you weren't and days you were reading devotional books and days you would ask me, Josh, you got to tell me, like what is, what is God doing in all this? So um, you celebrated, you had to celebrate your 29th anniversary in, in the hospital room in March of last year. Uh, and Becky, I, I know there were so many days you were so worn out, but you have modeled what a, a spouse it's supposed to be it's your, it's the covenant you made hey we we said through sickness and health and and you have modeled in 2019 what that means I want to ask you about faith to spend that much time in the hospital and to be dealt some cards that you've never asked for in life in this past year what what made it easy to cling to faith and what made it really difficult to cling to faith in God
1: well in the beginning um after I regained consciousness and realized, in fact, that I almost died. But God's mercy's kept me here, kept us together, and I wanted everybody to know it. I told countless people, kind of the experience in short term. Um, also, I remember in, when I was transferred to the long-term acute care unit, after I'd been there a little while and gotten a little stronger, uh, Becky got me out of the room one day and just rolling down the halls of the hospital. um, And I asked her to take me to the ICU waiting room where she spent so much time. So we went there and went in and just stayed there a little while and I asked her some things uh, about what happened there. And she told me, Uh, about so many people being there, my family and our family here, where certain people were sitting and all the prayers being offered uh, for us, for me and for us, pretty emotional. And we left there and went right next door to the chapel where she spent some time alone, and sat there and talked for a little while. And she told me of an experience Uh, she was outside in the hall of the ICU waiting room one day, crying, and a young man stopped and said, are you okay? And she said, yes, my husband's in the ICU. And he said, can I pray for you? And she said, well, yes, of course, thank you. And he did, and went off, and, uh, we eventually connected, I connected with him, I was in the rehab. One day, we were out in the hall. I was doing some walking, and I was sitting in my wheelchair, and this young man, Brandon is his name, walked out in the hall. And I could tell he and Becky made a connection. Uh, and so I found out then that was the person that had stopped and prayed that day for Becky. And like I said, his office is right across the hall from the rehab. So I began seeing him pretty regularly. and. He would stop and say, how are you doing today? And what's going on? And He would always end by saying, I'm praying for you. Uh, that was a huge. Um,
2: the things that made it easy for me to cling to faith are a lot of you sitting right here in this room. Your cards, your prayers, your text, and God would send those to me at the the very time I most needed to hear his love and his words. The concern we've been shown by so many people are God's ways of reminding me. There's one experience in the hospital I'll share. I woke up one morning and those seemed to be the hardest time for me to have faith, just to know that we were still there. And we faced another day that was probably going to be just like the one before. But one morning I woke up with a really bad headache. I walked down um, to get a Sprite because I was almost nauseated. Stopped in the chapel, came back to Randy's room. And several hours later, probably almost lunchtime, I realized my wallet. Oh, gosh, my wallet. I left it in the chapel when I went to get that Sprite. You know, this is hours later, and I'm not really expecting to find my wallet, but I go down to the chapel, and there's my wallet on the front pew. And it's like God was telling me, there's not a penny missing there, and don't you know Randy Fowler is more valuable to me than that wallet? I've got this. I'm taking care of him, and you've just got to trust me.
1: in the waiting, waiting waiting for the skin grafts to heal. Being told one thing one day by a doctor, being told something completely different the next day by another doctor. Just the yo-yo effect. Uh, And then the skin grafts, waiting for them to heal for this land of therapy they talked about. feeling like I was in a tunnel with no light in sight. No light. Um, day after day, week after week. Even when I got to the rehab floor, after a day or two, they wrote a on my whiteboard in my room, a targeted date of discharge was written down, May 17th. And I just, I couldn't put much stock in it after being there almost five months and being told one thing, then something but it's not working out. But it happened on my 17th, I came home.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I think it was around March and April, I visited you one day and Randy, you, you asked me, you said, why was your life spared, yet my sister's life wasn't? <laughs> And there is survivors' guilt that can sometimes set in. And I just want you to know—I mean, um, I'm so glad your life was spared. And I'm so glad you're alive today. And it was also around March and April. I remember you looked at me in the hospital room and you just said, "I—I I don't know why—I don't know why God chose to save my life now, but that you want to use your life to bring glory to God." And I think you're still in the process of trying to, to discover what that looks like. And I know God has already used you both as you've engaged in conversations with people in the hospital and also in your neighborhood. And I want to encourage the church to continue to pray for you and Becky that this will, this will be a story that God will use to spread his goodness around the world. Yes. Uh, let me ask you the final question. Um, because in this room, there are some people, 2019 may have been the best year of their life when it comes to joy, success, family, and others who are probably struggling with forms of darkness, whether it's health, relationships. I mean, that, that just that term is so broad. How would you encourage people who are walking a journey right now of darkness and pain?
1: Well, for me, um, actually, one of your visits one day when you were getting ready to leave and you prayed over me and said, God, please give Randy his daily bread today. And as simplistic as that is to our faith, it just struck me because I had been looking way out here, thinking the future, planning, trying to plan, organize, you know, who would be here, what would be there, And I hadn't been asking God every day for my daily bread. And I had not been thanking God for the strength I gained little by little, day by day, or the accomplishments I would made. However little they were, they were an accomplishment and a strength gained. And so from that point forward, it's kind of a turning point. And I started trying to live day by day um, and also that you just you just have to hold on to your faith, no matter what, no matter no matter how weak your grip is, and it certainly gets weak sometimes, some days. Uh, but I came to some go-to scriptures. Uh, one was Psalm 13, which is six verses, and it starts, "How long, Lord, will you forget me?" And the next. Four verses, how long, how long, how long? And then in verse five, it flips, it turns. It says, but I trust your unfighting love. And that word, but, just jumped off the page. But I trust your unfighting love. Mm-hmm. And also, Second Corinthians 4, 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen, is Eternal, and then in this Hebrew series that you did for us back in the summer or in the fall of the Sunday, you preached about the eye ear effect. This eye or the ear hears the word, the eye sees the realities of this world, and the hurts and the disappointments. And it's just a fact that that some days the eye wins because we're human and we're weak, but you can't let that go on, you can't let that rule because that's the door for Satan to walk right through. And one of the prayers that I started praying when in fact I knew that I was going to lose feet, legs, whatever, one of the first prayers I started praying was for God to keep Satan away from me to keep him from walking through that door it wide open.
2: Some of the ways that I would share with others that are going through a dark season is if you can sit and look back and know that God has prepared you for this season. Uh, We both saw our families. We both lost our dads when we were in our 20s. Uh, We both saw our families deal with tough things. Randy's mom lost uh, her husband and both parents within a two-year span. My family home burned when I was four. We lost everything. Uh, the following year, we lost everything but our home uh, in a tornado. So I saw, I, I saw what church does as they gather around. And uh, I saw families that leaned into God for their strength. I also read, and most of what I say is something I've read, I also read early in this journey not to isolate yourself. And it's real natural, and it's real easy to say, we're okay. We're okay. And I certainly don't feel like I've been a very good friend. I don't feel like I have a lot to offer when I'm in a group or with my friends but I'm trying to learn to accept their love and be so very grateful for that love. Our life group, I can't tell you how much they've done. They said, instead of going on our restaurant night every month, we're gonna come to your house. We're gonna bring everything, don't worry about it. And again, it's easy to say, oh boy, you know my house. We needed that and we, we just soak up uh, that love as they gather around us, and the many things, again, that have been done uh, just for us, the rides. Uh, yeah, Randy's reminded me on my card here. Uh, one of the people that we've talked about a lot over the past year is Trisha Lillard, uh, and we certainly saw in Trisha somebody who knew dark times and went, through them, not just getting through them, because a lot of days that's all I feel like I'm doing is just getting through. Trisha modeled joy. Uh, I've heard somebody talk about joy and grief can hold hands. That was Beverly Ross. Uh, so I, I do try to learn from others, and I do try to uh, not isolate. And I do appreciate your prayers. I've told a couple of people here at my lowest moments, and we still have some. I stop and I think somebody somewhere at this very second is praying for us. That's you, because a lot of you have told me we're praying for you. A lot of you have sent cards. I know that. I know that. And at my lowest moments, that's what I hang on to. We still need those prayers. We're still in a journey. We still uh, will probably have further surgery on Randy's other limb this year. Uh, We've got job situations. We've got insurance appeals. uh, We've just got things that, again, we're still in the middle of this journey. But with God's help and with this church,
0: Thank you so much for being willing to join me this morning in the shared part of your journey and to encourage us. Mm-hmm. So can we, give our, can we put our hands together and thank them? I love you guys so much. Yeah. <clears throat> give me a hug. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to end... Uh, this morning uh, with a story I shared maybe five years ago I put this in my, my latest book but it's a story I kept coming back to over the last couple of weeks and it's from a, a town in, in Norway called Rukan, Norway and this is a town that was founded about a hundred years ago and it was founded because there's a hundred meter waterfall that they were able to generate hydroelectricity and at the time it was the world's um, strongest, most powerful power plant. In fact, Hitler tried to take over this town because of uh, the weapons of mass destruction that they they could build if they were able to do that, but they weren't able to. And this is a town that was founded down in the in a shadow, down in like a deep in a valley. And it's about 3,500 people who have lived there now for about 100 years. And The thing about Rukan, Norway, is that from around September through March, nobody in the town is able to see the sun. The sky lights up. There's daylight, but they can't see the sun. It's it's there. It's on the other side of the mountain, but they can't see it. So in 1918, what somebody did is they made a, a cable car. They created these cable cars. It would take people up to the top of a mountain where they built a cafe where people could go and sip on coffee and eat some cheesecake and enjoy whatever kind of Wi-Fi existed back in 1918. There wasn't Wi-Fi back in 1918, all right, people? All right. But they could go up there, and it gave them a chance six months out of the year where they could could see the sun. And it was just about 20 years ago that there was an artist who came to town who was also this creative type, and he thought, man, it's not, like you should not have to go up there to see the sun we need to bring the sun down into the valley so the idea was was to put up huge mirrors that could reflect the sun down into this town and to do this people were excited about it but to do it they were it was going to cost a little over a million dollars of tax money and people weren't happy about that they thought tax money could go to education and there were other initiatives they needed to fund but they voted and the vote was to install the mirrors so they installed three mirrors that looked something like this, which allowed the sun to reflect down into something the size of about a half of a size of about half of a basketball court. So it's not like it lights up the entire town, but the sun is able to shine down into this small little area. And the first time they had the mirrors up to where it worked, the whole town gathered in this little square area. If you go to that next slide, and they sat around with sunglasses on and. All their little beach drinks, sitting in lawn chairs, and the sun came that first time, and the joy that lit up on people's faces. Those who were opposed to it, they were all right with it. And this gave me a way to think about the church, and to think about what it means sometimes to navigate darkness. So let me try to put some of you maybe in two categories. For some of you, you are in a dark place or maybe a painful place in life. And you do not have the strength to get up to a mountain to see the light. And what you need to know is that God can bring the light to you. And some of you may need to hear God say, step up and walk a little bit. I'm going to carry you up to see the light. And let me try to encourage you. Because I know all of you have relatives and neighbors and coworkers and friends who are in a period where they need the light of God to shine into them. And sometimes what it looks like to be the church is that we take those who are in a place of darkness and we carry them up. We carry them somewhere to see the light and experience God. And sometimes we are called to be those who reflect that light into people's lives who may be in the darkness. So I hope it gives you something to cling to as you end this year. Of a way to pray as the light of God is bursting into your life and also to reflect on what does it mean for you to be a good neighbor to those around you so that you are shining the light into theirs. Randy and Becky, thank you so much for joining me today. And I want to ask elders and prayer leaders to go around the room to receive people. And if there's anything we can do for you, anything we can pray... If there's darkness, you're in need of the light of God to break into. We surround this room with people who want to receive you and pray over you. If there's something you want to bring in front of the church this morning, we have elders up in the front to receive you. And if it's a day that someone in here wants to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life and to be baptized, will you come find me? Find one of these leaders. We would love to talk and pray with you and help join, on that, join you on that journey. Let's stand together and let's sing a song.